This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. As part of his last few months in office, President Obama continues to travel the globe looking to build out relationships with countries that have long had frayed ties with the United States. Cuba is obviously one of the leading examples. Saudi Arabia, maybe a little bit in that realm, but now Vietnam is apparently on that list. President went to Vietnam over the weekend to meet with their leadership. In the process, he announced that the arms embargo with the country had been lifted. To discuss this move, we are joined here in the studio by Regina Abrami, who is a senior lecturer in political science as well as a senior fellow in the management department here at the Wharton School. She's also director of the global program at the Lauder Institute for Management and International Studies. And also joining us is Kathleen Kathleen Chimino-Isaacs, who is also a research associate at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Regina, nice to meet you. Thanks nice for coming you. in. Great Thank to have you. you. Kathleen, you. great to have you joining us as well. Hi, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Regina, this in part seems a little bit like a way for President Obama, in some respects, to salt his legacy with kind of making all of these deals going forward. How do you see, all, you know, Cuba is one, now we're seeing Vietnam, there may very well be another one in the next few months. I think in some extent that's true. I mean, obviously the challenges he's been pace- facing over the past uh, second term with the Republican Congress um, has suggested that he'd best look outside the United States to salt that legacy. And so for sure, Vietnam is part of that story, although it is important for us to contextualize what just happened in terms of really a 20-year relationship that has been evolving in a gradual liberalization with this really being the penultimate a move. So a lot of people that still consider Vietnam to be that country that a lot of our American soldiers went to back in the 60s uh, and, and the early 70s, that part of it obviously has been done for quite some time, but the relationship has built up to some degree over that time. Oh, it absolutely has. I mean, if you go to Vietnam today, Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh City, you're going to find Kentucky Fried Chicken. You're going to find McDonald's, a lot of other premier American brands. You'll see U.S. cars being driven on those roads. And you'll find that most of the major American brands are doing manufacturing in Vietnam today. Kathleen, the, the, the move by President Obama to go to, uh, to go to Vietnam and make this declaration, uh, where do you see this in, in terms of this, this last stretch that, that President Obama is making in office right now? Well, I think it's, you know, like Regina said, I think it's really kind of the culmination of this kind of normalization of relations between between the U.S. and, and Vietnam in particular. I mean, but certainly we've seen, you know, uh, the, the context being really important here. I mean, President Obama is going to Vietnam and, and, and soon after Japan, and these are two major partners in this recent initiative, the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, trade agreement between the U.S., Vietnam, and uh, uh, 10 other countries in the Asia-Pacific, which was just signed in February. So this is kind of um, uh, building momentum uh, for economic support of the deal and to try and get these ratified in these, in these countries. So, you know, I kind of see this uh, show of good faith and this announcement as, uh, you know, warming economic relations and, and trying to build momentum for this kind of major initiative that really has come to define uh, U.S. and Vietnamese trade relations in general. A lot of the conversation w- with this story is also uh, about uh, the, the the South China Sea itself and the fact that, you know, $5 trillion of trade 
goes through that that uh, that uh, body of water each and every year, Kathleen. A- and China, you know, sees itself as having some sort of of level of control uh, of that realm. How important? Just I mean, five trillion dollars tells you how important it is. But f- from an economics perspective, and and that part of the world, how important is that body of water for this whole process? Well, it's really critical, like you said. I mean, five trillion of trade uh, going across uh, South China Sea. Um, you know, clearly this deal announced is uh, dips over into the economics and the geo, uh, you know, politics of the region. There's been growing concern about about Chinese activity there, and not just from Vietnam, but a number of countries: uh, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Taiwan, and. You know, so uh, there's there's certainly concern about, you know, the disruption of trade there, whether it's fisheries, whether it's energy trade. You know, a lot of oil imports go through uh, that area. So, you know, that's that's a big concern uh, given sort of Chinese military activities there. And, you know, it's to the it's to the benefit of all uh, in the region that commerce isn't disrupted. I mean, everyone depends on each other. There's a huge amount of economic integration. So, you know, there's a a real mutual um, benefit to try and resolve these kinds of concerns. Um, And hopefully, you know, deals like this kind of help help pacify some of the uh, some of the concerns. Yeah, I'd also add um, to that the other thing it does is it gives Vietnam um, capacity building, at least in terms of lifting the arms embargo. Right. I mean, keep in mind a few years back, uh, didn't get a lot of press at the time, but, you know, the Vietnamese were working with the Oregon National Guard and as well as the U.S. Coast Guard on really capacity building in terms of being able to patrol their own very long coastline. And so, you know, if you want to contextualize um, this this lifting of the arms uh, ban, you need to situate it re- with regard to that trade that's going through the South China Sea, but yeah. also more more importantly, having um, Vietnamese themselves having better capacity to monitor their own borders. We're talking about uh, the uh, Vietnam trade uh, restrictions uh, for legal arms being lifted by President Obama. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, You mentioned, Regina, about all the other companies that that have a presence in Vietnam right now. It's just interesting that literally almost as soon as the president announced the fact that, uh, that legal arms would be able to be traded with Vietnam, that you had Boeing and, and Vietjet announce an $11.3 billion deal. So, I mean, it was almost like they were waiting for the president to put his stamp of approval on allowing another massive deal to really go through. There's no question. This is a very, very powerful market signal uh, for people who are um, a little bit wary of the investment climate in Vietnam, and certainly for for people looking to that market as a new emerging uh, market, then there's always a, a great concern to see these kinds of signals done at the highest levels of the U.S. government. So without question, that's the case. Um, it doesn't surprise me that this Boeing deal has happened with Vietjet. It's uh, one of the brightest lights in the Vietnamese economy today. Yep. And it's an $11.3 billion deal, which is just remarkable. I think that um, the uh, chairwoman agreed to buy 100 737s. And the symbolism there, I think, is really direct more toward the American audience than the Vietnamese, which is that doing business with Vietnam, normalizing relations with Vietnam is actually good for U.S. business. And I would think, Kathleen, that probably the, the idea is to be able to put a lot of those planes uh, into service coming here to the United States uh, in the years to come and be able to build out tourism even more to, towards Vietnam from people coming from America. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the the benefit of uh, two-way exchange uh, that's going to be wrought by, well, this deal in particular, but more generally, um, you know, is a significant, uh, will be a significant outcome. I mean, to be sure, it'll take, you know, it'll take 
a good few years over the next decade. But, uh, you know, I think it's worth noting we've already seen that, you know, the actual trade relationship and the, you know, two-way exchange has really expanded, you know, to a significant degree just in the past, you know, two decades since the U.S. and Vietnam have, you know, moved to normalize relations. I, I mean, by now, the U.S. is Vietnam's a third uh, most important trading partner, I think, in terms of uh, that's total trade in terms of imports and exports. So, yeah. you know, this this kind of relationship, they're they're looking to expand that. And like I said, particularly with, uh, you know, the conclusion of the the TPP, um, which is a you know a major deal, and you know these kinds of sort of bilateral initiatives can only move that forward. There is so much talk about the TPP and whether it's a good deal, whether it's 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 not a good deal, Kathleen. From your perspective, where do you sit? Is it something that will benefit everybody involved in the process? Yeah, well, it's certainly been a controversial issue, um, particularly in the United States and U.S. politics. Yep. Um, but really it is, you know, uh, we haven't seen a kind of deal like this in the, in the past few decades. You know, there's been a real stagnant movement toward trade liberalization on the world stage, but also in in the U.S. And uh, so this deal really will uh, make a big impact. I mean, it's not just about sort of market access and, you know, new opportunities for for trade and investment, but it's also about the trade rules. And um, for a country like Vietnam, um, actually one of the largest who will gain one of the largest of the the TPP countries, you know, it's, it's about lowering trade barriers and and reform and economic reforms that boost productivity but it's also about these rules and you know rules-based governance and you know institutions within the country and uh, that kind of development that is propelled by these these types of trade deals so it's a it's a big deal for these uh developing countries like vietnam like malaysia um you know not just um you know for these bigger countries like the u.s that have already lowered their trade barriers substantially I, I, I can only agree. I would say that certainly for uh, countries such as Vietnam, the idea of getting access to the U.S. market and with more beneficial tariff rates is without question a benefit. But I'd also say that, again, it's a great benefit to the U.S. economy. I think the U.S. Department of Agriculture released a report showing how many products would now be able to get access to these markets, which it couldn't get no. before because most of yeah, these absolutely. emerging markets you know, for, 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 you know, know, tend to have very high tariff rates, which makes it sure. very hard for American companies to do business there. It's just not feasible. So, so it it is a benefit for the for the U.S. market, and then a step further on TPP is to contextualize it in terms of what world trade is like now. I mean, it's 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 one free trade agreement against another. So sure. although we thought, you know, we talked about a world trade organization, it's really a, a very much divided up pie, and so for these smaller markets to not be part of these agreements in some way or another is only going to hurt them. So it's to their aid. And the other part to it is interesting, as you mentioned, but with with the agriculture end of it is the fact that we're at a time right now where it hasn't been a great last, you know, decade or two for the agriculture sector for a lot of farmers here in the United States. And to be able to open up those doors certainly is a benefit. And it's a benefit for farmers in Vietnam to be able to potentially bring product here to the United States as well. Without question. Absolutely, without question. Um, yeah. Certainly, uh, soy, um, cotton, I mean, these kinds of markets um, are, are certainly growth growth markets for yep. the U.S. sector. Kathleen? Yeah, no, I was just going to add that, you know, one of the the primary benefits that we saw in the, the latest report from the ITC was uh, precisely in agriculture, precisely in services. These are, uh, you know, significant opportunities for the U.S., but, you know, we also, you know, uh, you know, without question, you know, kind of traditional barriers like tariffs are still pretty high in Vietnam. And so, you know, lowering them will make its own uh, economy more competitive and make, uh, you know, reforms that kind of 
uh, make their own agriculture more competitive and especially for textiles and apparel, you know, allow uh, their goods to not just access to the United States, but Japan as well. So, you know, we're all around, I think, um, you know, if this deal can go through, it, it will be a big uh, boon for, for regional integration. The president, when he when he spoke over the weekend, talked about uh, Vietnam being able to protect itself. And that's part of why the legal arms aspect of this, it, it was very interesting. Is there a concern uh, of Vietnam not being able to protect itself potentially from China, especially with China's potential influence in that area and what they view as the you know their control to some level of the South China Sea Regina uh, well I, I think first of all we should contextualize this in the uh, early Vietnam China War early in the late 1970s if you remember Deng Xiaoping had promised to teach the Vietnamese a lesson and, and that didn't go very well for China so yeah. so it's it's not a question of a Vietnam cannot protect itself but it is a reality that they have an outmoded uh, military, and they are undergoing a process now of modernization. And f there's no good reason why the U.S. should not be part of that process. And it's been happening through a series of short partnerships on uh, right. training and capacity building, but there's no reason why it shouldn't also happen with the provision of sale of, of American products. And I think we want to contextualize this and say it is not a, an absolute lifting of, an, of all arms. It is right. still going to be right. on case-by-case -case basis. So yeah. for anyone who's worried that um, that there's a that we're arming the Vietnamese, you know, from 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 boots to, to hats. That's not actually what's happening here. It'll be case by case, and realistically, it'll probably be a very slow process because sure. it has to be approved. Kathleen. Yeah, I was also going to add. I, I think you know we've kind of seen this evolution over time. You know, the the ban, uh, and partial lifting of restrictions. Um, you know, in 2014, the maritime ar arms sales and things like that. Um, and I, I think beyond kind of the symbolism here, it's uh, it's important to note that really this will take time. And I, I think that you know the human rights concerns and you know the various congressional approval that this will require will will make this, like Regina said, a slow process. Um, but you know, in large measure, Vietnam is dependent on Russia and to some extent India. Yeah. Um, so you know, kind of those relationships will will take some time to break down. A couple of articles, Kathleen mentioned the fact that not only has Vietnam been getting a lot of their supply from Russia over the last several decades, but so is China. So there's a there's an understanding of what that equipment is and, and its capabilities. So for Vietnam to be able to have some level of, of change and, and have this type of equipment coming from the United States does break it up a little bit. If I could speak to that on the issue of interoperability, I think that's a big piece of it, which is with the sale of U.S. equipment, you are, in a sense, enhancing um, some, uh, I guess, NATO standards throughout the Southeast Asia region. Because sure, if you're yeah. looking at the yeah. Warsaw Pact countries, you know, if the Warsaw standard was their interoperability, and if we instead introduce a U.S.-made equipment, then we're looking at greater interoperability between American-made equipment and American forces as well as in Vietnamese and elsewhere in the region for other countries that are buying American equipment. Kathleen? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, you know, the potential for the modernization and the spread of these standards is uh, significant. I mean, you know, the, the focus of the U.S., you know, commercially, I mean, it will continue to be major partners like Japan, Korea, Australia. Um, but, you know, these kind of supplements with these smaller, smaller partners are, are really important. And I think, um, I think it's really uh, less of the commercial value, but mostly the, the strategic and the symbolic, you know, value that it adds, uh, you know, particularly in relation to China. Uh, I guess it is interesting that uh, that you know a lot of people still see the history of the United States and Vietnam from the '60s and from the '70s, but the the, the developing of shared interests between the United States and Vietnam 
over the last couple of decades is something that, that has been written about a lot in the last week, especially as this kind of develops out. Just tell us, Regina, how what are the areas that really we have seen that shared interest really develop itself? Obviously, part of it is the fact that there are U.S. businesses in Vietnam to begin with. I think that certainly, for the, 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 speaking just from the business perspective, holding the political story for a minute, um, the business perspective has been that as China has itself tried to advance um, uh, a policy of uh, industrial upgrading, they've put in place certain policies such as increasing wages and the like that has made China an increasingly more expensive place to, to do business. And add right. to that now increasingly some of the policies which are viewed um, uncomfortably by people in the technolo U.S. technology sector, Vietnam, in, in contrast, looks like a very um, appealing market in that contrast. So so you're seeing business wanting China in the, what's called uh, Vietnam in the, what's called the China plus one strategy yeah. of having one foot in China. So from the business perspective, that's inherently attractive. And then I think in terms of the political story, um, in some ways, um, China's been its own worst enemy in this, in this um, the, the evolution because in some way its behavior in the South China Sea um, has been read by the region as aggressive. Yeah. And um, when you are a large power, as China is, how you are going to behave vis-a-vis -vis smaller powers is in some sense going to dictate how they're going to act. I think Vietnam has been adamant that it is not allying itself exclusively with the United States. It has, continues with what calls its policy of the three no's, you know, no new bases, no bases, no foreign bases, no sure. foreign partnerships. So right. so it's, it's Vietnam is certainly trying to stand um, neutral in the middle, but, but one wonders whether it would have stood as far as it has with the United States had China not over the past really six to seven years uh, increasingly seem to have taken an aggressive stance with regard to the South China Sea disputes. So they're taking at least one or two steps to be more in, uh, in line with being Asia's version of Switzerland, at least at, at, at this point, correct? <laughs> I guess maybe we're not going that far. But but <laughs> but it is interesting, Kathleen, that, that Vietnam <laughs> is seen a, as kind of a very important country in this whole process in that region of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from an economic standpoint and just what kind of adding to what Regina said, I mean, you know, Vietnam, along with China, has kind of gone through this industrial upgrading process. I mean, it's still a very kind of state run to a certain degree. SOEs are, are still pretty dominant. So, you know, there has been a gap with with the U.S., uh, you know, market uh, based economy. And, you know, but there has been a move toward toward aligning, uh, you know, sort of a market based uh, approach, rules based approach, you know, Vietnam during the WTO was a was a, a big deal. I mean, there's still a gap there. But, you know, we see the a narrowing of this and particularly like uh, not to come back to it, but the, you know, joining the TPP is kind of another step along that uh, kind of alignment process that I think, you know, is beneficial for the bilateral relationship, but also, you know, regionally, really for the, you know, economic integration of the region. And I would also say just, uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't visited Vietnam recently, um, it is the, the entrepreneurial energy there is beyond belief. Hmm. And and it's combined with particularly a lot of this energy is really at the at the level of young people. Yeah. And this is a very young country. And when you put that in the context of that, these young people want to be on Facebook. They want to use Dropbox. They want to use um, uh, YouTube. And the fact that they can have access to all of those things, which you can't have in China, sure. is really only yeah. serving to further differentiate why Vietnam should not be looked at as just a miniature version of China. It is true that its political system remains one party um, and, you know, communist, but it is not. It is not just a, a carbon copy of, of what's up to the north. What about the issues with civil rights within the country of Vietnam? I think I think it's a it's a complicated issue for sure, and and yet I would have to say that again, in contrast with um, China, it is quite different in that you do have 
Um, you do have some greater level of transparency insofar yeah. that you do have uh, televised uh, questioning of, of congressional officials, you know, in their National People's Congress. You do have people stand for, you know, is independence yeah. um, in the National Assembly. I, I think there's a way to go there because the often, more often than not, they don't seem to make it through the election process. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, they exist. Um, I would also add that, again, these sort of vehicles where young people are expressing their voices. And, and let's just talk about protests. I mean, the number of times yeah. you have seen Vietnamese taking to the streets to protest, whether it has to do with a protest against corruption, a protest against uh, environmental issues, a protest against uh, the Chinese, again, around the South China Sea. Um, those things do not go on in China, not for very long, at least. Yeah. Um, and they do in Vietnam, and they and they are taken quite seriously by the Vietnamese government because um, there there is, well, I guess we'll go back to the old Ho Chi Minh statement where people would say that uh, the Vietnamese were an oppressed people during the war period. And Ho Chi Minh would say, well, if it's all so bad, then why don't they shoot me? They do all have guns. <laughs> oh, so, so put that in context. Kathleen? Yeah, I'd also add, I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's, you can't dis uh, diminish the, the kind of human rights and political rights concerns. I mean, these are kind of an ongoing process I, yep. uh, that will involve a level of engagement. Um, but, you know, Vietnam, is, I think, is in the process of, of making, you know, uh, some concerted attempts to address some of these issues. I mean, in the, in the TPP context, for example, there's uh, significant standards and and labor rights and sort of civil liberties and um, you know th these kinds of initiatives that pr will propel these reforms. I mean, these are binding legal commitments, and and Vietnam's uh, you know making efforts to kind of incrementally address uh, some of these some of these gaps with international standards. So you know there's some there's some signals that that there's uh, attention to these issues. Of course, it's a it's going to be a long process, and uh, not all concerns will be will be addressed. But you know, deals like this again are conditional. Back to the arms right. arms deal, you know, they're they're conditional on on addressing some of these issues. So, and that's why, uh, and that's why no, I was going to bring up because of the fact that that you know, as quickly or slowly as these types of deals will play out, the the, the civil rights issue seemingly is is one that is linked right to it. A lot of people talked about that when President Obama went to Cuba, mm -hmm. and, and certainly that almost feels like it's the same type of operation, doesn't it, Regina? Um, it is. And I think, you know, here, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning Senator John McCain. Now, he's been one of the biggest advocates for yeah. normalization of relations with Vietnam. And even he, in the wake of this you know, announcement, has said that, you know, a full lifting would be dependent on improvements in human rights. And, yeah. and so... I, I think that it, again, you know, to Kathleen's point, it is a dialogue. Um, we will see change over time. You know, already the number of people who are in prison as prisoners of conscience in, in Vietnam have gone down over the past two to three years in the course of these negotiations. Yeah. So it is a process. It also goes to, to for a moment, speak about the job that Senator Kerry has done as Secretary of State uh, and the fact that, you know, he was basically, you know, one of the key pieces to how Cuba has kind of played out. And seemingly he's a part to, uh, of this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think we can underestimate his role and, and, and him as an individual in this process as someone who, along with Senator John McCain, have been um, consistent, longstanding uh, advocates for normalizing relations with Vietnam with an attention to its benefits to the U.S. economy. Kathleen, what's the expectation then uh, from, from your perspective, and, and obviously kind of talking about what you just spoke on a second ago, that this is a, going to be a slow process. There will be pieces to it. Obviously, the Boeing announcement is a rather large piece, but I, I get the sense that we will see slowly and surely pieces come out. We will hear, you know, some sort of deal uh, to provide something to the Vietnamese army, you know, sometime in the future. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, United Technologies, the kind of, you know, major players in 
uh, defense arms. I mean, this is a welcome commercial opportunity, but I, I really do think it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out slowly. And, um, you know, any... You know, the U.S. is, again, a leader in these kind of, you know, arms agreements, whether it's, you know, military to military government government or these commercial sales. So, you know, but, you know, these they, they take time to play out. And I, I don't think we're going to see sort of a, you know, a major change anytime soon. Again, you know, Vietnam is already, uh, you know, also integrated with with kind of Russian technologies. But, you know, I, I think it's... Um, you know, it's something that will have a have a transformative, you know, impact just in the psychology of the region and also, you know, uh, more tangibly, uh, you know, in the next decade or so. Regina? I can only agree. I think that what we're seeing here is the evolution of a 20-year process. And um, I would expect um, in the next few years to see further of it. And, you know, I think in that context, the approval of the Fulbright University of Vietnam, which is uh, meant to be the first freestanding independent Sure. University is is indicative of of, will, of Vietnam's uh, signaling its willingness to engage in this dialogue. Great to have you here. Thank you very much, Thank Regina. You. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank thanks for joining us today. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.